Hello and welcome to Storytime with Bemsi, where we read stories together and talk about them. Or rather, where I read stories to you and tell you what I think about them. Today's story is False Prophet, and it was written by Sembene Usman. It was originally written in French, but translated to English by Len Orton. Before we go into today's story, please permit me to tell you something about the author. Sembene Usman was a Senegalese author and film director. In his early life, he worked as a bricklayer, plumber, and apprentice mechanic, and he fought in one of the divisions of the French army in the Second World War. After the war, he taught himself to read and write in French, and then established himself as a writer. Some of his most popular work includes novels like Black Docker, God's Bead of Wood, and Oh My Country, My Beautiful People. A lot of his work is centered around the history of colonialism, the failings of religion, and also the strength of African women. In today's story, we follow a character by name Mahmoud Fall as he travels around the north of Senegal. Without any spoilers, here is False Prophet by Sembene Usman. Mahmoud Fall, with his bronze countenance, aquiline nose, and his rapid walk, though not so rapid as the hawk-like glance of his eyes, came of a line of Senegalese Muslims, faithfully abiding by his ancestors' motto, What is mine belongs to me, but there is nothing to stop us sharing what is yours. He did no work, or, to be exact, he did not like killing himself with work. When children slyly asked him, Mahmoud, why aren't there any cats where you come from? He would answer, I don't really know. It was his way of avoiding saying that cats, like him, like to be fed without doing anything, which is why there are none to be seen in Upper Senegal. The land there is arid, and the inhabitants erect their tents at nightfall and strike them at dawn. An animal cannot live at man's expense when man is a nomad. Like clings to like, it is said. But these two shun each other, and any cat seen perchance in that country is a pitiful sight. Mahmoud Fowl, tired of doing nothing, with his pockets empty, had decided to journey towards the sunset and the country of the Bilals. In his view, these ebony-skinned men were his inferiors, only good for guarding the harem after having been castrated, which eliminates disputes over the paternity of the children. When he reached Senegal, Mahmoud Fall changed his name. He called himself Adra, a name which opened all doors to him. He was received everywhere with the respect due to his rank. Having studied the Quran in Mauritania, something that the Senegalese always regard with respect, he profited from his knowledge of the holy book, presiding over prayers and sinking into interminable genuflections. The local people were awestruck. They considered it a very great honor to have a descendant of the noble Adra as their imam. Like his counterpart the cat, Mahmoud arched his back under all these praises. As nature had endowed him with a fine singing voice, he was able to delight those around him making every effort to modulate the syllables before flattening them at the end of each verse. 
He spent the time between each of the five daily prayers squatting on the sheepskin and telling his beads. When mealtime came, Mahmoud insisted upon being served apart from the others. The only thanks he gave was to sprinkle the children and adults with his abundant spittle. They all rubbed these all over their faces, saying, Amen, Amen. One wonders what Mahmoud thought of all this in the secrecy of his conscience when he was alone with God. Being used to moving around, he went from compound to compound and I was always received according to the traditional code. To each stranger his bow. The guest did not refuse anything at first. But as the days went by, he became more and more fastidious. According to him, couscous prevented him from sleeping and he complained of indigestion. As his hosts were anxious to remain on the path which leads to paradise, they cooked special dishes likely to appeal to such a discerning palate as his. But to make certain he did not hesitate at times to go to the kitchen to order what he fancied. That was a brotherly aspect. Besides being well-fed, Mahmoud Fah was amassing small coins, though he never considered there were enough of them for the trouble he was taking. These blacks definitely had a low regard for the value of prayer. And there was another thing. Why did they persist in keeping cats? Each time he saw one in the house, he felt his hair stand on end, just like the fur of an angry tomcat. He pulled a face and chased the cat out. Sometimes he preached on the uselessness of cats. Despite these trifling annoyances, Mahmoud Fao felt that over the months his reputation as a preacher was growing. Learned and holy men everywhere, the Talibs, Marabus and Tafsirs, had but one phrase on their lips, Sumanar, Sumanar, which means my more, my more. Mahmoud secretly thought they were mad. Sumanar, my more, why my? Has anyone ever heard of a black buying a mole? That would be a topsy-turvy kind of world. He wrote more and more signs on pieces of paper for people to carry around with them, and he worked harder than ever to hide his origins and his real aim. To increase his prestige even more, he went so far as to declare that his body was banished from Finari Dianan, from hell, and they swallowed that with all the rest. As the months passed, Mahmoud saw that his hoard was steadily increasing. And one morning, without a word to anyone, he departed as unexpectedly as he had arrived one evening. The elders in their wisdom said, If the setting sun brings a stranger, don't look for him at sunrise. With his booty in a bag slung over his shoulder, Mahmoud Fowl headed briskly towards his beloved Atlas Mountains. He walked day and night, with only short rest, thinking of how he would use his capital and taking care to avoid any doubtful encounters. To this end, he made a detour towards the north, which took him through the kingdom of the Tiedis, heathens who worshipped fetishes, though Mahmud was unaware of this. As he went, he kept congratulating himself. Thanks to Satan, I have a great knowledge of the art of appropriating other people's possessions. It was the height of the dry season. The sun's rays, like flamethrowers, were setting fire to the sparse tufts of grass. 
The wind tore at them and flung them towards the far distant shores, whistling as though to put an end to the unendurable monotony of silence. From the overheated earth, there issued a vapor rising to the empty sky. There were carcasses of animals which had been picked clean at every stage of decomposition and which the wind was gradually burying in the sand. The birds of the air passing uttered cries which were like complaints made to nature, a blend of serenity and unease. As far as Mahmoud could see, there was no sign of any living being, only a single tree, a strange tree, strange because of its abundant foliage. The sole survival or in that hell, a tamarind tree. It was almost the time for prayer. Tired out from his long trek and overcome by the heat, Mahmoud lingered by the tree, wondering whether to pray before or after sleeping. He had to make a decision, and finally he opted for sleep and lay down under the tamarind tree. But what was this? Suddenly he sat up and gave a shout, very loud although he was alone. Hey! Hey! Yes! You up there! Come down! His words echoed around. Three times he called out, but no reply came. Then he got up, ran to the right and the left, towards the setting sun and to the east. But he was quite alone. There was just him and the tree. An inner voice, doubly suspicious, urged him to bury his treasure. He dug down the length of his forearm, then went to investigate the surroundings, but found nothing. He returned and dug twice as deep, went off again, still nothing, no one at all. He shielded his eyes to peer more clearly into the tree's thick foliage. No one was hiding there. Then he went back to his hole and dug still deeper. This done, he sat down in it and counted his derms, which changed agreeably in the silence. Pleased and reassured, he buried them all, then stretched out to sleep on top of his hoard. But he remembered that he had not paid his due to the Almighty and addressed him thus, I owe it to you. After all this performance, Sleep was not long in coming to Mahmoud. It was accompanied by a sweet dream in which he was drifting through the desert. As far as the eye could see stretched a vast ocean of sand with interweaving slopes of the dunes. Like ships of this silent sea, camels were plodding along, heads nodding on their long necks, despite the storm that was blowing. The reins were held in position by their brass nose rings. Grains of sand, harder than steel, pricked through his clothes and stuck the skin. Then the dream changed into some sort of reality. Mahmoud Fowl saw himself lifted up by a very thin, half-naked black. The man ransacked his hoard, then deliberately proceeded to shave his head. Mahmoud eventually roused himself, still dazed with sleep, thanked God and yawned. As a good believer, Mahmoud thought of the first prayer of the day. If no water is available, sand ablutions are allowed. He first trickled some sand over his hands and arms to cleanse them of everything unclean he had touched. 
then sprinkled some over his face and head. In carrying out this ritual, he had a shock. He had not felt his mane of hair. He hurriedly put both hands to his head, fingering it all over. He had no hair. His head was bald. Slowly, carefully, making a great effort to control himself, Mahmoud drew his hands down to his chin. His beard was gone too. Wild-eyed and aghast, Mahmoud became aware of something strange happening within him. He thought he could hear voices, and this was so, but they were inner voices. It was God who shaved you, said the first. How do you make that out? God doesn't shave anyone. Mahmoud, listening to this dialogue, grew livid. The next comment was greeted with a laugh. Have faith in God. His mercy is in everything. Ha-ha, you make me laugh. And when you fleece those poor blighters, in whose name did you do it? Mahmoud vigorously shook his head to try to silence these voices, but to no effect. So he put his hands over his ears. He did not want to hear any more. But the voices continued. Pray, one commanded him. You have missed two prayers already. Look for your money first, advised the other. Without it, you won't be respected. You won't have any camels. You'll have nothing to eat. Make sure of your money first. It's easier to pray when you're sure of having a full belly. Mahmoud obeyed the last injunction. He scrabbled around, casting earth and sand aside so vigorously that his actions were quite unlike those of a normal human being. A good at bay bites, and Mahmoud would have bitten anyone who tried to stop him looking for his hoard. He was sweating as he crouched there with his tongue hanging out. He could easily have been taken for a giant crab. He pushed the earth away from the hole with his feet. His enveloping boo-boo was strangling him, so he wrenched the neck open and then dug down with renewed energy. At last he reached the bottom, and there to his dismay all he found was his slick black hair. He lifted it up, glanced at it in bewilderment, then stared down the empty hole. Raising his eyes to the tree, he took God as his witness. Bilahi wahali, this isn't me. As he held his hair in one hand and stroked his shaved head with the other, tears welled up in his eyes. Bihali wahali, I'm not Mahmud Fao, he said again, a sob in his voice. Then he shouted at the top of his voice, My friend, my old friend Mahmud Fao, come and deliver me from this uncertainty. The echo whisked away his call, rolling it over before hurling it onto the plain like a stone onto a galvanized iron roof. The sound faded into the distance and he murmured slowly, My old friend Mahmoud Fal, don't play this trick on me. I've known you for a long time. He strained his ears, listening hard, concentrating on a point beyond his range of vision, but he heard nothing just a vast emptiness. Then the mocking voices returned. Aren't you going to pray? said the first. Hardly aware of what he was doing, he stood up, faced towards Mecca, and raised his hands to his temples. Allah Akbar, 
God is great, he began. But his eyes wandered to where his heart had been hidden. Can you still pray when you've been robbed? Ask God where the thief is, said the other voice. Mahmoud stood there with his arms raised, not knowing what to do. Then he remembered his dream. I wasn't asleep, he thought. He had seen the thief. He had even felt that he was being shorn, and the Almighty had not intervened. The Almighty had let it be done. No, I'm not going to pray anymore, he said in a low voice, thinking that Allah would not hear him. Three times he walked round the tree, hoping to find footprints, but in vain. High in the sky, a migrating bird began to sing cheerfully. Mahmoud Fowl shouted curses at it. Then he suddenly felt himself to be very much alone. On the word of a moor, he murmured, these sons of slaves are all thieves. Rage possessed him, and he ran off like a madman into the desert, his torn boo-boo flapping in the wind. He had just realized that there is no need to believe in Allah in order to be a thief. The End Our story today begins with Mahmoud changing his name to Adrian, and this change of name presents him as a descendant of a noble line. We see from the start that he's a very talented man, he sings well, and he has good knowledge of the Quran. But he's also a very selfish man. He moves into this community and leaves off the generosity of the people, but he shows no gratitude to them. Usually, when people get food and provisions for free like he does, there is some kind of an expectation uh, of gratitude on their part, for recognition that people are being generous towards you. Instead, he makes progressively increasing demands on the people, right? getting more and more picky with the food that he eats, for example, with time. He also has a sense of superiority. He believes that he's more important than the people around him. He looks at them and he thinks that they're beneath him in some way. Uh, Mahmoud or Adra, you know, uses his gifts and his religious training to gain some kind of a reputation of, among the people, and in return they give him their money. In some sense, there's a responsibility on the people, right, for enabling his selfishness and just his behavior. But from the story, you can see that they were doing it in good faith. They felt like they had met somebody who not only was a descendant from a noble line, but also had an impressive command of. Uh, religious text and was the imam and they felt that they were supporting him that they were doing their duty as a community to support him and I think that there is something to be said for the way in which people treat their religious leaders and what expectations they place on said leaders in this case we can clearly see an imposter who is taking advantage of people's religious faith we can see the greed uh, the condescension the loss for power uh, but that's because the story is told to us in the third person Right. However, if if we place ourselves as characters in the story, you know, we have all seen people, for example, who revere the religious leaders in perhaps very unhealthy way. And the characters in the story, you know, the characters in this story do not know that the person that they're looking up to and calling Adrian, that that's not his real name, right? They don't even know where he's from. Uh, and, and they don't know. They're just taking him for who he says he is. Maybe if they're taking some time to vet him, right, they would not fall prey to these tactics. It's also important to note that Mahmoud makes no tangible contribution to this society. He doesn't work. All he does is take from the people. He takes the money, takes the food. But there is no, nobody questions it. Nobody asks him 
uh, to do something meaningful for the society. Nobody points out to him that, well, ever since you came here, for example, you have just been taking our food and our money. You're not doing anything for us. I mean, even though this is not the same, we see a similar pattern in The Birds of God by Mia Kuto, right, where the birds, uh, Ernesto Kipps, end up getting fat at the expense of his own family. And in some sense, I think that the author may be asking us to question the authority of religious figures and be more careful about holding them accountable or vetting them in some sense. And also seeing that these men and women may also be susceptible to the same corruptions as the rest of us. They may be greedy people, they may be liars as well. And that the fact that a person purports to be uh, a man or a woman of the cloth doesn't necessarily mean that they are above uh, common human feelings. The end of the story seems to be about justice. All right? Mahmoud stole from people, he defrauded people, and now there's a thief who steals from him. He took advantage of people's naivete, and now somebody else is taking advantage of his sleep. You know, he was asleep and then somebody stole his money and shaved his beard. So there's a sense of justice, all right? there's a sense of cosmic justice that comes in. And you can even see that the greed is that when he wakes up from his sleep, the first thing you know, he's concerned about taking where is his money. You know, he's concerned about this huge bag of money which he has amassed. But there's something very interesting that happens as well. Like this, this dialogue that's going on between him. It's like there's two people within him that are talking. There's one of them just asking him to pray. And the other one which is telling him basically go and look for your money, right? If you don't have money, then you cannot really serve God properly. And in some sense, I, would, I wonder whether these are like the two people, the two senses of identity that he has, right? Whether Mahmoud is talking to Adra, like Adra the religious man, is talking to Mahmoud the fraud about, you know, Adra is saying, go pray. And Mahmoud is saying, well, go find money. I wonder whether this is a commentary on, you know, the conflicting desires I mean, amongst us as human beings in general, right? Like, there's nobody who is like purely a saint or purely a devil. We always, uh, we all have contradictory parts to our personalities and I wonder whether seeing these things in a person like Mahmoud enact a similar kind of reflection whether we would be able to see ourselves and our conflicting desires in a person like Mahmoud maybe not a very fraudulent person like that but in some sense there's uh, there's something about that ambiguity in his personality which I think is reflective of the average person anyways that's it for today thank you very much for listening if you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. You can also post about it on social media or leave a rating and review on iTunes. To catch the latest about the podcast, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Storytime with Bemsey. That's one word. Thank you very much once again, and I'll see you next time.